Hello everyone, I'm Frank Garza with Lean Startup Company, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show. Today's topic is how to build a nonprofit using the Lean Startup, and moderating the discussion is our own Lean Startup Company faculty lead, Marilyn Gorman. Our guest is Executive Director at the Firefly Sisterhood, Chris Newcomer. And with that, I'll hand things off to Marilyn. Newcomer, thank you so much for joining me today. I have to say I am in awe of anybody who can do what you've done, which is to start a nonprofit called the Firefly Sisterhood. Like many people today, I have family, I have friends who have all been impacted by breast cancer. And so I wonder if we could just start off this conversation by learning a little bit of the background to the Firefly Sisterhood and what is it they actually do? Sure, so we, um, our vision is a world where no one faces breast cancer alone. So what we do is we foster connections between women who are sort of in their breast cancer experience and inspirational survivors who are past that experience. We actually were founded by General Mills Yoplait brand, the yogurt brand. They were looking at something that was different in the breast cancer space that had always been an area that they had worked in. And the research was showing that talking to someone who's been there really does have an effect on how you approach your, your breast cancer. So actually internally, the chief marketing officer at General Mills always had a competition it's called the big bold idea and it had to be award worthy and culture changing and so Yoplait pitched um what was originally called big sister bigger sister mm-hmm. and it won it was one of the top three vote getters so then Yoplait got some dollars to start to build it and realized pretty soon that they loved the idea um they loved the concept and how this is going to happen but as a huge multinational corporation they couldn't do it internally and i literally happened to be at the right place at the right time i was working for another nonprofit, and i got a call from uh an uh, account executive at ad agency that was creating um sort of working with general mills to create um what was now firefly sisterhood and asked if i could talk about um starting a nonprofit. I went over and I chatted with them and we kept chatting and my background is nonprofits, technology, marketing. And they said, Hey, are you interested in being our founding executive director to make this thing happen? And of course, as life has it, my sister-in-law had had her double mastectomy about a month before that. And I, I just had to do it. Of course, of course. I I love too that in your description, you talked about finding inspirational women. And I I suspect there's quite a few people who don't necessarily feel they're inspirational, but in the right relationship and the right situation, that help can be so appreciated. And that ability to inspire others can't be underestimated. So What's interesting to us as well, aside from the fact that you have been the founder of this wonderful organization, is that you also applied Lean Startup to it, which again is is not something that a lot of people would consider when starting um, a nonprofit organization. So can you talk a little bit about your experience with Lean Startup and how you came to learn about that approach? Right. I um, am the way I manage is or learn things is I just go talk to as many people. And so mm-hmm. there is a 
uh, innovative agency in town that I knew um, some of the people. And I said, how do I do this? All of a sudden I have this name, this idea, this concept. How do I make it happen? Mm -hmm. um, and he literally handed me the Lean Startup book and said, this is your Bible. This oh will God. help you. Yeah. And I went, okay. And I went home and I read it within, it took me an hour. It was so well-written, but it also made so much sense. And I went, oh, now I know what I'm, I'm thinking of. And it, 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 man, it also dovetailed with my experience um, working in web design and mm -hmm. the iteration you go through with that. So I was used to that kind of idea, of not sure. having anything perfect when you launched a website. So mm -hmm. that was our, that's how we started. We literally yeah. read the book. <laughs> I, I, it's just so interesting to me again, and I, I can appreciate your technology background because um, that first book, The Lean Startup, is a fantastic book, but it's also almost an engineer's guide to lean startup. So right. the fact that you read it in an hour just really shows your passion for yeah. following this, this kind of approach. And I'm wondering what, if anything, in that approach struck you as something that was particularly new for you. I think what was most new for me was putting a, an approach together that made sense to me. Um, so there are a couple of things that I took from the initial read was mm -hmm. I didn't have to know everything to start yeah. and I could create a way to what we end up ended up calling build, listen, learn, mm -hmm. you know, what do we need to know now? Um, and I'm comfortable living with and making a decision with 60% of the knowledge. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people aren't. So it worked, but it just gave me a matrix or a model and a language to, um, to start working. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting that you've adapted the, the measure to listen. I'm curious to know though, do you have a way of tracking your impact or measuring the experiments and the tests that you run along the way? Well, we actually did. I actually pulled out um, before this, I pulled out two years worth of sort of iteration templates that we use. And I actually, mm -hmm. on our fourth one was what are our metrics going to be or what are our metrics at the end of this six month cycle mm -hmm. and um, going from there. Now we haven't really, we were five years old. So we ended up really coming to a point where we were started um, in about uh, January, you know, about uh, December of 2016, so mm -hmm. two years ago. And, um, but we still use some of the methodology, mm -hmm. but it got us through that two years of what do we need to know now? What do we need to know now? What do we need to do now? And yeah. not um, trying, not chasing shiny things. Of course, which is uh, a temptation for a lot of people, especially yeah. when they are getting started. So let's talk a little bit about what some of your early experiments actually looked like. And, and how did you do your customer discovery? How did you learn from your customer base, which I suspect also included volunteers? Yeah, we actually have um, three customer bases. It's interesting, mm -hmm. and I can articulate them now, but I, you know, four years ago, I couldn't. So our first customer base is, um, the women we serve, the women who have breast cancer who want support. Mm -hmm. The second customer base, which we had an inkling of, was the women who want to come back and serve as a guide. And we call them guides. Um, mm -hmm. They're peer mentors, but mm -hmm. 
with fireflies guides light the way yes. in the dark so that's the I sort of see. visual yeah. um so we serve them because they heal by giving back mm -hmm. and our really i think our our bigger customer um became our health systems because we had to figure out how to make them trust us mm -hmm. to refer their patients to us mm -hmm. because if they didn't trust us we were dead in the water mm -hmm. um, and we found out later in a in an evaluation done a, two years ago um, that 40 to 50 percent of our referrals came from our health systems okay so right up front we had to figure out how do we get them to to refer patients to us sure and know about us and trust us yeah well and, then let, let me ask you if you were applying lean startup what was the problem that you were trying to solve for those healthcare systems? How did you frame that and then validate with them? Well, it's interesting. I, I think we didn't, we didn't know those problems until later, but one of the things I was looking back at my notes, we started, we launched and we went, oh, we don't have anything. What we learned was we don't have any even brochure for mm -hmm. them to give to patients. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the sort of iterative things is, oh, okay, they're not just gonna go to the website as it is. So yeah. we had to build a, a brochure that made sense, that was universal, and we actually still use that brochure today. We have, we've maybe changed a phone number. Fantastic, um, yeah. And, so, and also when you think about your, <clears throat> excuse me, your guide population, your mentors, what about the problem or, or what experiments were you able to run with that population to help make sure you were providing the best possible intersection between them and the women that needed their help? I think what we had to do was we had to actually build a training. You were, we, mm -hmm. we learned that we couldn't just throw volunteers out there. Mm -hmm. um, and it goes back, it's also the issue of trying to get systems to trust us that, yeah. well, I don't know who these people are. So we um, had to build a training. So we had to build not only a training, but then we had to say, okay, I've got to have some, some privacy policies, some participation agreements. Mm -hmm. So we went through a whole process of working a couple iterations through um, agreements that they had to sign. Um, one of the things we knew, we learned very early on with our conversations with health systems was um, they were not going to refer to us if people... Um, talked about treatments mm -hmm. and if people referred to other physicians. Mm -hmm. So that became guardrails for us. And we actually had to learn that our volunteers had to sign that, that they would not. Yeah. They could share their story, but they couldn't say, oh, you should go to so-and-so or so-and-so. I understand. And so that was one of the things that in the first iteration is build that training. Mm -hmm. And then we had to figure out how to make our matches. Mm -hmm. You know, so you've got somebody coming in on one side and you've got, you want to match, um, we match women on their age, their diagnosis, their treatment and their life experience. So mm -hmm. a spreadsheet wasn't going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a match.com for Firefly, right? Exactly. And, yeah. and then I'm thinking, well, I can't afford anything. So we had to really think about how do we solve the problem of matching mm -hmm. and make it efficient yeah. and cost-effective. And we looked at a lot of different options and we ended up landing on Salesforce. Mm -hmm. 
which ah, is interesting, interesting. Yeah. Um, because one, they give nonprofits free licenses mm-hmm. Two, we were able to take a piece of, of Salesforce called their cases where people can log issues. And we actually use that for people requesting guides. So we had a technology issue to solve, to create efficiency. And we didn't really realize that until about uh, six months after we had started. Mm-hmm. And when my, I, by then I had a program manager, she said, I can't do this on a spreadsheet. It's too complicated. Of course. Yeah. And um, so we had to figure out what system. Yeah. Uh, and it took, it took us a year yeah. to, to finally get it so it's working. Yeah. And I think sometimes people forget that patience that it takes that while you're learning, you have to allow yourself to the space to experiment. And, And so can you think of any failures that you had that allowed you to pivot or that provided some learning for you that you might not have had otherwise? Yeah, we actually, um, we were trying to really be close to our mission, which is fostering one-to-one connections. And we really thought that one of the things that was needed was a resource directory of all the resources for women with breast cancer. There was Mm -hmm. nothing out there. And we kept beating our heads against the wall. And finally, my my board said, enough, this is not going to happen. You've got to figure out something else because we can't, we can't maintain this. We don't have the staff. So we really did pivot on that and decided mm-hmm. to not persevere. One, one thing we did to persevere, we would, um, and I remember when my staff person came in and actually asked the question is, should we pivot or persevere on this? Oh, fantastic. <laughs> so we were talking about how to engage our volunteers in the community around educational programs that also create connection. Mm -hmm. So as an organization, we never do anything that doesn't um, create some kind of a connection between people, whether Mm -hmm. it's a fundraising event or an educational event. So we were working at it and working at it and trying to make it way bigger than it was and just kept beating our heads against the wall. And finally, when she said, should we pivot or persevere? I looked at her and went, we need to do both. We pivoted to a different model, but then we also persevered through it. And now it's become, we do educational events about twice a year. Yeah. And we get, we, we just decided not to make them so overblown. Mm-hmm. They're, they're pretty simple. Yeah. Um, but we get 15 to 20 people show up. Fantastic. So, yeah, and, so. and that's really the essence of the, the pivot, which is you still have your vision of success. You're just changing how you get there. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. So, but I'm sure it was really heartwarming when you started to hear the people around you use the same yeah. language and use it in a way that showed they really understood. Well, you know, and that's one of the things that we used is um, we, I literally have a template that says, here's what we build, here's what we're listening, here's what we're learning, and here are the metrics. And we as a team would go through that every three or four months and say, what are we learning here? What are we hearing? And then six months later, or like after six months, I would rebuild a new iteration. Mm -hmm. And then we'd say, okay, what do we need to build to go into this new iteration? Um, So we were constantly looking at it on three levels. We were looking at it on a programmatic level. Mm -hmm. We were looking at on looking at it as a, uh, sort of communications marketing level. And we were looking at, I was looking at also as a governance um, mm-hmm. with, with a board of directors. 
Yeah. Wow. I'm going to play this recording for some of the teams I coach because I think taking the time to really reflect back on that period of time, whether it's one month or three months or whatever, and make decisions is sometimes one of the hardest things for teams to do. They focus more on the activity and not necessarily on what are the outcomes that we're seeing? What are we learning? So that's that's a great example. Chris, the Firefly Sisterhood, as you've said, is made up of a group of not only um, people who use the services, but also the guides, the mentors, and Uh they are all volunteers. Yes. And it's not easy to run an organization with volunteers. Right. So how, what have been your challenges in managing that volunteer organization and how have you been able to apply Lean Startup to that? You know, I think, um, couple things on the lean startup is we didn't when we started if you go back to mvp you know you mm-hmm. in lean startups minimal viable project and we <laughs> called it minimal viable program you okay. know so when yeah. we went it was like we thought seriously i remember in august april of 2013 what is the minimum i need to do to open my doors mm-hmm. and what we had to do and one of the things was um the training of mm-hmm. our volunteers and getting volunteers. We don't seem to have a problem getting volunteers. Mm -hmm. It's just how do we manage them? And so a couple things we built, the the database helps us a lot, but we had to think about using, um, you know, sort of pivot or persevere that, that build, listen, learn, what were we hearing from them that they Mm -hmm. wanted, what they needed. And Mm -hmm. as we were going through that process, we learned that, um, they need, they want to connect with each other, which is very interesting. They want a community. And Mm -hmm. it took us a long time to get to that point. We also heard in our listening part is um, that they are really invested. I will Mm -hmm. tell you, and how do we maintain that investment? So thinking through what do we need to build around creating that connection? So we added a summer social which is just open, come and chat with each other. Um, So we added iterations. One of the things I think that we learned that separates us from a lot of volunteer programs is we actually have mandatory retraining. Oh, great. Okay. So what we, one of the things we did as we were going through this process, and I know it was at the end of our like fifth iteration, we went, we need to hear from our volunteers. So we created a program committee. Mm-hmm. And they give us, and they were the ones that actually um, came to the board and said, we think you should mandate mandatory ongoing guide training. Mm-hmm. So we mandate three hours a year um, and very few similar organizations do. Yeah. But we heard it through this process of, mm-hmm. of listening mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. and almost, you know, and lead start hearing what your customer's saying. Of course. Not just expecting what you, what you know. Of course. And they, their point was mentoring is a practice Mm -hmm. and you can't just get trained once on it. Yeah. So it it makes perfect sense. I'm curious to know also aligned with that. um, It can be frustrating at times, and I'm not sure this is the case for you, but I'm sure every one of your volunteers has an opinion about something that could be better. And the challenge is sometimes to focus on the 95%, let's say, 
as opposed to the 5%. So how have you managed that? You know, um, we, I have to say, we don't have that problem. Well, that's And I, I think, I think it is because we have a magical uh, person doing our matching. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think I hired well and right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, we've gone through a couple other people and she, she is the, the, she's our matchmaker and they, they trust her and she responds. I think what, what also keeps them involved is they keep getting asked to participate. Mm-hmm. There's nothing worse than being a volunteer and going, you haven't called me. Okay. And our volunteers have all, all of them have been matched and we have right now we have a current track of 150 volunteers mm-hmm. and every one of them participates. Wow. Um, but no, what we managing them is knowing that we need to communicate with them constantly mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. make sure they understand. They know what they're doing is so positive, but um, understand what we're learning. Mm-hmm. And um, we did an evaluation at the end of 2017. And one of the things we learned is they have to stop being Minnesota nice. <laughs> Maybe you better explain what I, you mean by that. Well, Minnesota nice people go, oh, just call me if you need anything. You know, I'm here for you. Call me if you need anything. Well, the women we serve are in crisis. And the last thing they're going to do is pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, could you drop off dinner tonight? Mm-hmm. Um, so we really had to push them to really go back and consist, you may think you're nagging, but you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a change that we had to manage them through. And I think they've been pretty good about that. I'm sure. So, I'm sure. Yeah. Is your goal to grow the organization, Chris? Do, are, you, are you hoping to increase your volunteer size or to move a bit broader in your geographic area? A little bit of both. So um, our initial goal right now is to just stabilize as an organization, mm-hmm. funding is always an issue mm-hmm. um, for us. And so trying to live within our means of what we can raise. We run a pretty lean organization on top I'm of it sure. because the way we just, des- when you get to build a program from scratch, like we did with Lean Startup, mm-hmm. we could make decisions that if we were to expand, we wanted to create things that were plug and play. So, you know, the first thing we had to literally do was throw out the website that the agency built and rebuild it in a way that even had a CRM attached to it mm-hmm. and a way to get data out. Mm-hmm. So you could start our program in another city with a telephone and a computer. Mm-hmm. Literally, that's mm-hmm. how you, that's what you need. So, um, so to stabilize our funding, I think we want to increase the women we serve in the state of Minnesota. So mm-hmm. our goal is just to put numbers around it. There are 4,000 women a year diagnosed with breast cancer in the state of Minnesota. We want to serve 25% of those, which mm-hmm. is 1,000 women, mm-hmm. which every time I say that, my two staff people look at me and go, you are crazy. <laughs> how, how are you playing? I was like, I don't know, but that's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, so right now we are we have doubled our number of women matched over last year. We're on track to in one year match 300. Mm-hmm. which is not quite a thousand, but pretty good for a four-year-old organization. Of course. Of and course. then the bigger picture is um, not necessarily that we would start another Firefly, but that we're able to pull together a consortium of like programs across mm-hmm. the country, because this mm-hmm. is happening more and more, that you build a network of cross-referrals. 
Sure. Because with, you know, we get found by people in Los Angeles and Texas and, mm-hmm. um, and how do we, we want to know who we refer out to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing that we've had to protect is our reputation and we're really work on reputation management, but having these other source resources across the country allows us to serve our women better if we don't have the right match. Of course. Uh, you know, so we, because we are so personalized Sometimes we need to go external and find a person mm-hmm. and they, they come to us and do that too. So how do we grow this and say in your community, here are a couple of different models that you can use to start this. And this is what you need. Mm-hmm. But all of us do matching. I'm sure. I'm sure. And <clears throat> so it sounds like these are also lessons that you've learned so that if you were to start the organization again, there are things that you might do differently what what do you think that would be? What what have you learned that's been a, a complete surprise? Um, I did not expect to, to have volunteers knocking down our door. Really? When I put a call out for mm-hmm. our first training, and one of the first things we had to build was a training model. I mean, how do you train somebody to be a mentor? And mm-hmm. um, and I didn't. We had fifteen women show up. Mm-hmm. We're not even opening our doors yet, and we had fifty. So surprise me how, knock on wood, easy it has been to keep and retain our volunteers. We consistently cha- train about forty-five new mentors a year. Wow, which is a lot. And we lose some, but you know, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing is, I would have thought through my database earlier, mm-hmm. and I would have. Um, there was nothing on the market, which is why we use Salesforce, but I would have really done the research around it. And we were just in a point where we needed something mm-hmm. and it's not perfect, but it does our work for us. Yeah. Um, it yeah. reduces the time of making a match from six hours to two hours. Okay. Fair enough. So yeah. Chris, I, I understand that you're also on your local school board. I am, yes. And you are using <clears throat> the Lean Startup, or at least the language of Lean Startup, right. to maybe kind of subtly influence some of those board members. How has that been working for you? What, what have you seen happen as a result of that? Well, it's interesting. To me, there's a lot of some intersection between um, design, design thinking mm-hmm. and Lean Startup. And Absolutely. So... Um, I've been trained in design thinking and then now I have the lean startup and starting to get people to understand and educators are not good at this is you don't need to know everything, you know, and that you have to be flexible because in education, you show up, you know what you're going to teach that day. You know what you're going to teach tomorrow. You know what you're going to teach the next day. And you're not good at making a decision without all the data and all the tests and digging into the data and mm-hmm. lean, you, you can't, otherwise we'll still be where we are. So some of the conversations we're having that are starting to feel this is, well, let's try something. So rather than doing, you know, a skunk works or, you know, a separate group, they're, they're actually creating that. We, we're calling it a lab works. Sure. I think that's the name of it, but we're letting people come in and try things um, using like, what do we need to do to start? You know, some of that, how, how are we going to try this? How are we going to know it's working before we take it into the rest of the classrooms? Mm-hmm. And um, that's a change mm-hmm. for education to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. I also think that 
um, the ability to the pivot and persevere is, you know, you can turn, you don't mm -hmm. have to follow us through the bitter end. If it's not working, it's not working and cut it sooner rather than later. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't keep at it. So, so those are the two things that I think are starting to go in. We've done a lot of work with um, design thinking, mm -hmm. um, human centered design um, and the whole idea of lab works mm -hmm. and um, not knowing everything right away mm -hmm. and iterating through, we call it um, project 20, 2031, which is the year our, our kindergartners this year will graduate from high school. I understand. So um, what, what's the first step? And I think what, what you know, I liked about the Lean Startup and Why is it allowed me to figure out a way to activate, to move to action. Yeah. And education doesn't always move to action. <laughs> you know? And so um, giving one the permission and then giving a way to think about it mm -hmm. uh, can help people move to action. And, and, and that's, that's hard though. Yeah. Really hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes they're so into innovation yet. Um, I had somebody say, you know, we can't innovate our way out of the achievement gap anymore. We got to just sit down and do the, the heavy lifting here. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's an interesting way of thinking about, okay, how are we going to do that? Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Well, I, it sounds like you've got some good tools that you're working with that can help them to think beyond that, for sure. Right. The, 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 the thing that's hard, and I think, you know, in reading through when I originally read Lean Startup is the idea of, you know, bring, it some, bring a group together and working on it. And how do you find that time? Mm. Um, I had the luxury when I was starting Firefly Sisterhood. That was all I did. Mm -hmm. It was figure out how to start an organization. Sure. Um, I had some startup funds from YoPlay, so I didn't have to go raise the money like a typical nonprofit. So I could just think about how do we build a program and launch mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. um, where if you're sitting in a school district, you don't have that opportunity because you've yeah. got contracts and people only work time, different times. and th mm -hmm. You can't pull teachers out of the classroom to say, do this. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the only thing you're going to work on. So, yeah. 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 It's, it sounds like you've been able to apply Lean Startup in so many different ways and to make a real impact on your community through the Firefly Sisterhood and also Thank through you. your work in the school. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe as, as kind of a, a last message to those people that are listening to this webcast, what advice do you have for people who may want to do something similar to you, not necessarily a Firefly Sisterhood, but to get involved in, in an impact project yeah. uh, or to bring Lean Startup and that mindset to their own school board and their own school district? Yeah, I think um, first read the book. <laughs> <laughs> Eric Reese will be happy to hear you say that. <laughs> read the book. Um, and then, so a couple things is one, the reason I like the book so well is I could explain it to somebody in less than two minutes. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that was always if I could explain that, then people would get it. Now mm -hmm. I made my team read the book, but one of the things is um, you have to have fidelity to the process. Yeah. Um, you can't be, you can't have people coming in and saying, well, we should do it this way, or we should do this strategic planning or that you mm -hmm. have to say, Nope, this is how we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And so we really kept fidelity to the process um, that, we would literally have, we would sit down and write, 
What did we learn? What did we hear mm. out there? What do we need to do? How do we solve for it? Is this something that we're not going to solve for? And we would do that as a team because everybody was doing different things. So, you know, one of our learnings early on is we just had to show up everywhere. Okay. We wouldn't have known that. And it became a learning and that became, okay, we listened, we had to show up anywhere. So what do we, how do we make that happen? Mm -hmm. um, so really keep fidelity to the process, um, whatever process you have. Sure. Um, we yeah. just ha had it and um, don't slip away from it and look at it. I mean, as I say, I, I, I'm sitting here looking at my six month iteration things and I would share them with my board just so they knew what we were working on. So yeah. we weren't, you know, that kind of thing. That so accountability, which accountability. is a huge piece. Yeah. Yeah. Accountable. I was accountable to making these things happen and they, it was a way for them to hold me accountable. It was also a way for us to go back that fidelity to our funder and say, here's all the things we've done mm -hmm. rather than just saying, oh, here, here's literally all the things we've done and what we learned from it. So mm -hmm. those are cups. So to me, it's fidelity of the process. The other thing is, um, I always say, be comfortable in the gray areas. Yeah. Um, and it, it's just, you're not going to know everything. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. some people are, it's hard to function. They mm -hmm. get really nervous. I have some school board members who don't like to live in gray, mm -hmm. um, but you're going to have to, be able to do that or get people on your team that can do that. Yeah. Um, because if you're a, I need to know every piece of data before I make a decision, it's going to trip you up. Mm -hmm. You're still going to be, you're going to be a year behind because mm -hmm. you're not. So live in gray and be able to make decisions with 60% of your information. Yeah. So, so to me, those are the two things that we really um, learned from it. Mm. Well, I think it's, it's great advice. Chris, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and thank you for your service in establishing the Firefly Sisterhood. I'm sure there are many women in Minnesota who can't imagine what their life would be like now without having that support and that opportunity. Yeah. Well, thank thank you. you again. Thank you. thank you. I appreciate it.